listen, I don't, I don't care if you want to go to class or not, but I'm running because you're not showing up to class, which is making me mad because I don't want to run any more than I already do run. You're telling me all I have to do is go work out every day, go get on planes on time. To me, I would never be late to anything. I'd honestly be stressed. I'd probably sleep at the airport. Dad used to tell me all the time. He used to tell me all the time. Son, don't worry about the mules. Just load the wagon. All right, welcome to another episode of Rock Chalk Unplugged. I'm Chris Tan, my co-host Mitch Lightfoot, and today we have we actually have three national champions on, this, on your screen right now. Uh, welcome our guest, Cole Aldridge. How you doing, Cole? Great. I'm doing great. Just uh, enjoying this nice hot weather here in Minnesota. Cole, I wanted to get a give us give us an update. What you've been up to since uh, since you stopped playing ball? Uh, talk about your little family life and, and what you got going on now. So I, uh, my last season that I played was, I played in China in a town called Tianjin. It was outside Beijing, like two hours. We had like 15 million people. My, so that year was 18, 2018, 19, I think it was the season. Um, yep. I ended up spraining my MCL kind of on like a freak play. Guy drove from the top of the key, got fouled and just kind of chop blocked me and came home rehab was going to continue to play then my wife was got pregnant was going to be due in january and i was like okay well I'll just i'll take this take the winter off i don't want to be anywhere or have her come with me and then uh my son was born in january and covid hit in march so it was just kind of like i'm not going to go anywhere especially now because you really couldn't, and yeah. that was just kind of the end of it. So now How I'm, was I'm, I'm, I'm oh, an avid I just hang out with my little one. Yeah, for sure. And you're a homegrown kid. How was that experience playing in China? I mean, I'm sure, like, you played in the NBA. You really didn't go overseas at all until then. So was that, like, a, a complete culture shock to you? You know, I had been to China twice before with the NBA. We played, like, an exhibition game. Um but that experience is far different than my my uh, time playing for the CBA. Um, it was tough. It, you know, it's very different. There's not a whole lot of speak, people that speak English. Understand culturally it's different. The game is different. You know, my role was far different than what I, I had ever had in my professional career. You know, I was a lot of the time in my professional career, I was basically just a backup guy. Go rebound, set screens, get get Kevin Durant and Russell and Carmelo and all these other guys open and kind of stay off to the side. And then when I went to China, it was like, okay, well, now you need to score. Now you got to rebound. Now you got to do this. So, you know, that part of the game was an adjustment. And I felt really kind of coming into my own right before I got hurt. Um, but you know, it just kind of happens. That's, that's how it is. Having played with some like incredible players, the ones you just listed, like Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, like Russell, all those guys, like of those, who was, who was your uh, favorite to get open and set screens for? Who's, who's your uh, favorite teammate of those guys? I know it's hard, but. Yeah, I have to say KD was, you know, we all were so young in Oklahoma city. So to think about it back now, everybody was like 22, 23, maybe 24, and somehow we made it to the finals. I mean, we lost to Dallas when Dallas won and Dirk kind of went crazy in the playoffs. 
That was 2010-11. And then, so we lost to them in the conference finals. And then the finals, we lost to Miami, LeBron's first. And that was yeah. a lockout year. We were the best team in the league. We should have won. We, um, we were in Oklahoma City. Back then, it was uh, two games at home, three on the road, and two at home. And it's, it's switched now. So we lost game two at home. And then we had to go to Miami for three games, which is a long time to be in a city. Yeah. And we had to steal one and we just, we couldn't. And, you know, they ended up winning. It was LeBron's first and just kind of started that train for him. How was, uh, you mentioned the, the Dirk Nowitzki, uh, going crazy on you guys the year before. How was like scouting for him? I know you were a backup and saw limited minutes in the playoffs, but you're obviously guarding them. Like, what's the scouting report? Is it like a whole book just being like, hey, just pray to God before you go out there? <laughs> Shoot him a prayer before Dirk shoots it right away. <laughs> I mean, you, you know you know exactly what he's going to do. You know where he's going to catch the ball. The, the thing that you have to do is you just have to, like, kind of wear him out over time. Make sure that every catch is hard. And, you know, he's going to hit tough shots because he was one of the best in the league at that time and you know the playoffs he was unbelievable and if you just kind of found a way to like slow him down then you know he would he would still gonna make some shots and he's still gonna have 25 but you know it it you just had to find a way to make it hard for him <laughs> which is easier than hard. done i feel like yeah, hard isn't hard enough for that man. He he went on a tear that year. He he was so good. I mean, he he like that run reminds me of Jokic's because he was just like there's nothing you can do. You know, Dirk isn't wasn't nearly as skilled as Jokic is, but you know, in in like the awkwardness, pure dominance that's how it was. I mean, you would walk down the street and you would see Dirk and he's kind of like hunched over. He walks all messed up and you would be like, oh, you know, you played basketball and whatever. But to be one of the best, I mean, he was so good. He was an assassin. I mean, that fadeaway, <laughs> you couldn't guard it. And I was a big LeBron fan. I mean, watching that series, when they beat them in the finals, beat the Heat in the finals, I just remember watching it being like, or be the, yeah. whoever that yeah either he the I was watching like what is this like you would you would sit there and watch him play like how can they not guard him how does this man have forty right now and he's made what a hundred <laughs> and like something free throws in a row too there was no yeah. way to stop him. yeah he kind of started that transition of like the bigs being stretched and what the game kind of is now <clears throat> yeah you uh Cole you were around for the beginning of of LeBron's run. Uh, it, it, winning finals. Um, what was that like? What was uh, what was it like competing against him, uh, Bosch, uh, Dwayne Wade, like that that trio? How, how good were they, and how hard was that to scout? They were so good. You know, when I think about our my Oklahoma City days, I mean, we it's easy to look back at it now and think, you know, what could have been or what should have been. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we had three MVPs on that team. Russell, KD, and um, and James. So, just say. Damn, Chris. 
All right, we're good now. My mom's home. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hey, Donna. All right. No, she's uh, she's all the way upstairs, but both the dogs were laying underneath me. All right, keep going, Cole. My bad. <laughs> so, I mean, we had, we had three MVPs on that team with uh, Russell, James, and KD. And, you know, I so I'll kind of tell you a crazy story. We had practice – that was my going to be my third year in the league. <clears throat> and we had a practice on a Saturday, which is normally. So we started, we had practice Saturday was going to be off Sunday. Monday was going to be kind of a lighter day. Tuesday, we're going to fly to San Antonio for a game on Wednesday. And <clears throat> Saturday was like kind of a notorious, like it's in a training camp. We're going to have like a good solid practice. Sunday will be off. And then Monday kind of, get into the season Saturday was like we showed up it was weird it was quiet we like had no contact we just basically got shots up it was kind of like a real weird practice and I remember hopping in the cold tub and there's like a hallway with windows and I could see James kind of walking back and forth and he'd go outside and he was just he didn't look all that happy and I just didn't really think about it but they had just extended Serge Ibaka like the day before or a few days before and come to realize James was talking to his agent about, you know, kind of all that was going on. And I want to say James asked for like 55 and they were going to give him like 50, which was like a huge thing. I mean, he was a sixth man of the year. He had a really good year the, the year previous. Um so now as you kind of think about it, like that $5 million really doesn't mean a whole lot. It kind of changed the scape of everything. But I kind of went home and I hung out and I was playing Xbox at, it was like 9.30 at night. I get a, I get a call and I, you know, I'm kind of, I look at my phone and I'm like, oh man, what, what's my GM calling me for? Like, it's 9.30 at night. What the hell? I don't, what does he need? <laughs> I pause the game and and I pick it up and he goes, hey, you know, I just want to let you know you've been traded. You're going to go to Houston. Somebody's going to reach out to you. Yada, yada, yada. I'm sitting there. I'm thinking like, damn, dude, I'm in Nuketown right now. I'm trying. I'm trying (laughs) to get my kills up and now I'm getting traded. Now I got to go pack all my shit and just what's going on. And um, I, I remember my wife was at homecoming up at up in Lawrence with some friends and they were out at the bars and hanging out and whatnot and I'm like calling my wife calling her calling her texting her she's she's not answering anything I'm calling her friends and saying like hey call me back because I'm trying to get to her before you see at the ticker James Harden is traded I'm along with it and all that and I remember finally getting a hold of her and she's like hey what's going on and I was quiet and she's like, what? And I'm like, well, we got traded. <laughs> she goes, where are we going? I was like, Houston. She goes, okay, cool. Uh, well, when are you leaving? I was like, well, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. the plane's taking us. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not gonna get home till later on tomorrow afternoon. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. I, it's just kind of how it is. I'll be gone and uh, I probably won't make it back. So just pack a few things and come down to Houston. <laughs> what does, was, like, 
you see the NBA, like the, the players getting traded, like that's a great example. Like what does like the relocation look like? Do you guys get like, like you said, it's like, all right, hey, sorry, you need a duffel bag and you're on the plane. We're putting you up in a hotel. Or like, how do you, like, you have a house, like you have like responsibilities yeah, in a so certain I mean, town? Like, Yeah, I had a house and I remember getting out the phone. Uh, Reggie Jackson and KD came over and just like hung out for a few hours and I threw some shit in a bag and I was like, okay, this is kind of what I am going to need for the next week or so. And then somebody from the other team kind of comes in and, and helps with that process. My wife was like, we were so young. We didn't understand. This is my first time being traded. Nobody really told us anything. So my wife and Nina Westbrook, Russell's wife, went to Home Depot and got like boxes and they were starting to pack up some stuff. And, you know, we had no idea. And finally I was like, you know what? Just leave it. Just pack your valuables. Just come down here. You know, the movers will take all sorts of everything. We got to find a place. The season's starting in like four days. So, you know, there's just so much shit going on that there's just no point in just kind of, rushing and throwing everything in a box let them do it so it's it's crazy i mean once you get traded in the season you have like 48 hours to to show up and and hit the ground running there's there's not a whole lot of time and i'm sure that's hard especially with the playbooks and everything up there like what because you were a journeyman you moved around a lot and so that shows that hey you could pick it up pretty fast what was kind of your mentality when you came to those places and they're like hey Here's our schemes. Here's here's the defense we run. Uh, what was kind of your learning process trying to get through that and figure that out as quick as you could? You know, a lot of the teams kind of run similar stuff. They might call it something different. They might do a few kind of different things. Like we used to call it, we called it blue or ice, where you push a pick and roll to the baseline. Um, so a lot of teams did that, but there were some things that just kind of took a while um, to figure out. I mean, especially like the camaraderie of playing with guys that you had no idea who they were. You know, as I look back at my career, I was always the new guy. You know, I was always coming into a new situation with new people. And that becomes really hard when like you don't have value in that so an organization doesn't really know who you are like you've been there for a year and oh yeah you know we like Cole but you know do we like him enough and you know in a year it's kind of hard to show your value even if you don't play you know locker room stuff and you know kind of other other things that you can you can kind of show that you have value for so that part was always hard where I got traded four or I got I was on four teams in a whole calendar year. I started in Oklahoma City, then I got traded to Houston, so that was in October, and then I got traded to uh Sacramento right before trade deadline. And then I went to camp and I was in New York with the Knicks for that next year. But <clears throat> yeah, we uh I got traded right before the game in Houston. <laughs> we were playing Oklahoma City at home. <laughs> And they just and said, you got traded for T-Rob, too. You played with them, correct? Yeah. Like, how was that, getting traded for a guy that you obviously, like, started and played over, and then you just get traded for him, pretty much? Yeah, it was crazy. So, we had, like, six guys get traded that day. 
And normally we have like a meeting at 40 minutes before, uh, before the game. And we kind of go over all the game plan and all that. And then once that meeting's over, then you just kind of disperse, do what you need to do. And then you run out through the tunnel and do warm ups and whatnot. And I remember after that meeting, I was going out to the tunnel and our head trainer uh, stopped me. He goes, hey, meet me in my office. And I was like, where am I going? (laughs) Because, you know, it's a weird thing. You're telling me I meet me in my office. You're going to trade me. I trade deadlines in two days. So (laughs) where am I going? And come to find out. Uh, like Marcus was still on the court and um, like we had all sorts of guys get traded that day and I so I got traded and you know had a conversation with our GM and they were like all right well you're going to Sacramento and for this and that and I'm like okay cool so I, I literally Grabbed some shoes, my jersey in my locker, went home and had a few beers and hung out. Would you say that was like the being traded stuff is your welcome? We've asked a couple different guys this. They're welcome to the NBA moment. Was being traded yours or, or uh, what was what was your welcome to the NBA moment? Uh, you know, there. my situation is so unique because I was an 11th pick. I was a lottery pick. So I went 11 and normally when you're a lottery pick, you go to not a great team and you have a role immediately. You know, I went to a really good team that was established and there was no there's no space for me to play. You know, I wasn't like Greg Monroe going to uh, the Pistons where he is immediately playing and he's got to do everything. And, you know, I came in and we had Nick Collison, we had uh, Nana Kristich, and then we had Perk and Nazi Muhammad. So we had a bunch of old guys and I wasn't going to play. So it gave me an opportunity to kind of learn more and get better. But, you know, in hindsight, maybe it hurt my career a little bit. I don't know. You know, it kind of gave me an understanding of like, how to work and work through some adversity early on, even though, you know, because you're excited and you're like, Hey, I'm the guy, like I want to play and I want to do this and I want to contribute. But when you got to take a back seat, it it's tough. And you kind of never know how to navigate that. I think that can definitely relate to like today's day and age, even of college basketball, like with the transfer portal, like, the 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 no not having to sit out like people can just say i'm unhappy in this situation i don't have to i don't have to pay any really pay any dues for transferring like i can just up and leave to a different situation like i think there is something to be said for having having to pay your dues and having to go through a a little bit of adversity to make sure you're you're going to be in a better situation yeah i mean you look at my my freshman year when i came to ku I came in and we had Sasha, Darnell, Durrell. I mean, we had we had guys that I was fortunate enough to play all 40 games, but I played probably 10 minutes, maybe eight minutes. I didn't really play a whole lot throughout those games. So I kind of had to take that backseat, too. I was, you know, I was a McDonald's All-American. I came in and was thinking that maybe I was going to contribute, but we had all these really good good big guys and then you know d manning was like hey we're gonna we're gonna make this kind of a longevity thing where 
you're going to learn so much. You're going to get better. Right now, we have guys here, and, and you walked into a situation that just didn't enable you to play as much as you normally would. Um, so I think kind of coming into that situation helped me. But, I mean, just my whole experience my freshman year and sophomore year and my junior year was, was awesome. So let's let's bring it back to the beginning. Um, we'll talk about your high school. I mean, you were you were a McDonald's All American. You were the third overall big man, thirteenth in the in the rankings, five star guy. And you come to Kansas. Your final three, if I'm right, were Minnesota, UNC, and Kansas. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so you obviously you played sparingly your first year, but that was the best meme. If you look through, I mean, obviously not probably at some point but like in the early early years but that may have been the best big man team in the recent nba like recent ncaa history that 2008 kansas team yeah i mean we had the year before julian wright was there who you know maybe not be your traditional big guy but he was he was a really good college big guy um man i mean we had some really really good players it wasn't just like we had one good player because Shady was really good, but Darnell was also really good. Like, Darnell was kind of that tough, like, hard nose. You know, he was from Oklahoma, had a tough growing up, and, you know, he'd dive on the ground and throw his body everywhere. And and then you have big old Sasha. <laughs> I've, I've only heard folklore about how strong that man was. Connor <laughs> reminds me all the time, be like, Sasha Khan, he was made in a Russian lab. Like, there's no way he can be that strong. Yeah, the nicest, sweetest guy ever, but he was so strong. <laughs> and they had the pointiest elbows. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. I mean, he's he told me a couple times, I, I think he told me his welcome to Kansas story was Sasha hit him with the screen and Connor hit him, <laughs> like hit his shoulder with his face. And he was like, I'd never bled so fast and I'd ne- my cheek had never like blown up as fast as that. It was like literally I hit him and I already had a black and blue cheek that had a cut on it like it was just immediate and i've been here for three hours <laughs> yeah How? Well, so your first year yeah your first year you guys were undefeated going into big 12 play if i'm right and then you dropped three in big 12 <clears throat> how was that like coming in and obviously being undefeated and just going through that thing like you got your first taste of how much is expected of kansas what was kind of your thought process through that so the year before they lost to UN or uh, UCLA in Fresno, and you know everybody was like really upset because you know everybody felt like that was the year where they were going to finally get to the Final Four, and it was just going to kind of just give a sense of relief for Coach Self. Um, so there's a real like kind of sense of urgency throughout the year and throughout the summer. And it was, as I look back at it, it was great walking into that because you really saw, and I mean, you guys experienced how great KU basketball is. And for however, what crazy reason Coach Self has been able to sustain the whole ship for 20 years is just, it's remarkable. I mean, it's historic because, you, you know, there's only a few coaches that really have been able to do what he's been able to do. Um, and I think that's the reason why is because you come in and, you know, we had won, let's see, 
two Big 12 titles, I two or three Big 12 titles before. And when I came in, it was, you know, me, your brother, Buford, and Tyrell. And really, it was, you know, it was like Tyrell and I, and even Tyrell didn't, Tyrell didn't play much our freshman year, but it was that sense of like, we're, we're not going to be the ones to stop this. Like, we want a ring too. Hell, they're handing them out to everybody. I want one. So, <laughs> you know, then my freshman year happens and, and Texas is really good. So we split the, we split the big 12 with Texas and, you know, we, we got our ring and then it's like everybody leaves after we win the national championship. And Sharon and I kind of look at each other and we're like, all right, it's you and I. And we're going to have to figure this out. We got the twins and I hate the twins, but we got the twins and we're going to have to figure it out. And it's so funny because I remember when the twins first got on the school, got to school they were they were like so hard nosed. They didn't want to do anything. D Manning was on their ass. Coach Self was on their ass. They just they were the hardest people to deal with. And I remember walking into Coach Coach Self's office, and I was like, Coach, I don't know why you brought these guys here. These guys are assholes. They are so hard to deal with. I have ran so much because they don't want to do shit. And Coach is like. Yeah, I hear you, but like, just give it time, give it time. And over time, I mean, you know, the twins, the twins are awesome. They're great. Like, oh, yeah. they're, they're so fun. They're funny. Like Miss Angel is just a sweetheart. They're great people. But like coach just needed to get them out of like what they're so used to and just kind of break them down a little bit and help them realize like, we needed them to be really good. And, you know, eventually I always thought that Keith was going to be the best player, but Marcus, you know, they both had like really good professional careers. I mean, unbelievable. Is I've heard, I've, I've heard the stories of coach self telling like one of them yelling at one of them during boot camp, And the other one's like, if he's not running, I'm not running. <laughs> are, those, are those stories true? Like, I've, I've always heard those and been like, there's no way somebody's going to tell coach they're not running during boot camp. Like, Oh, yeah. They were so stubborn. They, you know, because they, they're Philly guys and, and they had everything kind of lined up for them throughout their high school career. And when they got the coach self, it was like, coach was like, you guys this is my ship and i'm driving it and i don't care what you guys say but this is how we do it here and i think over time they started to realize it and i mean now now the jersey's hanging up in the in the south side of the field house so it it really paid off for them and you know they were a huge part of what we were able to do my sophomore year and even my junior year and yeah, and let's uh, we'll go back to the national championship year before we move on to there. Um, but you, you obviously, like I said before, your final three were KU, Minnesota, and UNC. And I'm sure the fact that Tyler Hansborough came back played an effect on you coming to Kansas. How satisfying was it to? I mean, you got opportunities throughout the year, but your real first, like your coming out party, was pretty much that final four game. You had ten points, or you had eight points, like twelve rebounds or something like that. And just absolutely dominated Psycho T. How did that, how was that feeling? 
So we played Nebraska senior night in the field house, and we blew Nebraska out by like 45. And that was the first double-double that I ever had in college. So that kind of, that like that, I always think about that game giving me like a boost of like, oh, okay, I can play. Like finally here I am. I haven't been able to play much, and now I got quite a bit of minutes, and I had a double-double, and I played well. And then going through the tournament and, you know, finally getting over the hump to uh, beat Davidson to get to the Final Four was like a huge sense of relief. Everybody, you know, like I said the year before, everybody wanted that, and then finally here it is. Coach is like, finally we did it. And I remember going through the scouting report, all that, you know, he's the best player in college basketball at the time. You know, I think he was even the previous year. He had two national players of the year, maybe. But he was he was was really good. And I remember during the game, we got in foul trouble. And I always think back now and I'm like, man, Dooley was sitting on the bench and Dooley was my guy. He recruited me and like, he's the best. And so we get into foul trouble. Sasha's in foul trouble and Shady, I think is in foul trouble. And I, and I always think about this Dooley being like, coach, we got to put Cole in. And coach is probably like, yeah, you're right. We got like, we got to put him in. It's a final four, but like, we just got to get through half. We got, we got like eight minutes. We we got to get through half. So he's got to go in. So I go in, and, and I played hard, and I played really well. And then um, we got up like twenty five almost at one point in time. They kind of cut the lead down to like maybe six or something like that. But you know, me kind of coming into the game was that weird thing that just happened you know it just it was kind of the stars aligned for me personally and and I didn't really think about it as like the final four and having like this huge pressure because like I said you know I didn't really play a whole lot so I was just kind of I was for the car ride and then I was like oh shit okay now you gotta go play you gotta go do something I thought okay well this is this is it. This is make or break, and I got to go find a way to do something. And you know, I had a few blocks, a bunch of rebounds, and got us through half. And you know, I always look back and think about what the coaches probably thought when they had to put me in. They were like, "Man, I don't know what this is going to do, but <laughs> here we go." That that Davidson team you talked about—that's the Steph Curry Davidson team, right? Yeah. Yeah. How uh, could you tell then, like that that guy was going to be like as special as he is today, or, or or is that something that's kind of developed after his time at Davidson? You know, I think he was so good. It's kind of weird because we we played C.J. McCollum when he was at Lehigh too. I think my sophomore year, but you know, you see these guards and you know, I mean, you're going to be a good guard if you're if you're bringing your team to the to the Elite Eight. Like you know, you you're a good player and. I never knew at that time, like what it would actually turn into because, you know, he was never a guy like, like Tyreek Evans, who was like this hugely touted, like 
I'm All-American, McDonald's, and in college. He was just a really good player and could shoot the ball. He was thin, kind of wiry, just found his way around. But he was good then. But what he's turned into now, is it, it's, it's unbelievable. I did see a stat the other day where it kind of went through what he averaged through his, I think, his conference tournament and the NCAA tournament, Steph. And mm-hmm. it was – he averaged 31 on 48% from 355 from the field and like 95 from free throw line. So I like looked at that and it was like, okay, I mean, that's legit. If you're averaging 31 in a college game, especially in 08, the way that the game was played <laughs> and it wasn't like today is like to do that is literally unheard of. He was, he was yeah. going psycho. It's, it's kind of like Jimmer for that in a sense where, they, you know, once they get going, they they really get going. Yeah, he's going. He's he's going if he gets going. Cole, I want to take it back to when you're getting recruited by Kansas. What was your recruiting experience like from Coach Self? I mean, we've talked to a couple of different guys about their recruiting experiences. I wanted to see how it's evolved since you got recruited by him. You know, so I I was I was always like a really good player probably since seventh or eighth grade. And let's see, it was probably, might've been eighth grade is when Minnesota like officially offered me a scholarship. You know, in that sense, they couldn't do it because I was an eighth grader, but they were like, hey, when you're old enough, we'd love to have you come here. And then um, Lute Olson at, at Arizona was another guy that highly recruited me. And I liked him, but you know, just kind of waited and I went. So my AU coach's uh, sister lives in Lawrence and it was just one of those things where I'm like, yeah, let's go to a game. Why not? So we went to a game and um, Shannon, who now this is kind of like a whole weird small world, but Sam Presti's wife, Shannon, was a manager for the team. And she was the one that like showed us around. Here's the locker room and campus and all this. And I was like, wow, this is this is super cool. And I kind of just like we went back every year and then we would play in the Jayhawk Invitation, which was an AU tournament. And um, I just like it was it was Joe Dooley was the one that really recruited me. And I love Joe. I mean, I still talk to him from time to time now. But um, I like Carolina. You know, Joe Holiday, who was at KU with Roy, recruited me at, at Carolina. And, you know, it was it was hard because I like Carolina. They were good. I like KU. You know, what really came down to it was, you know, the distance. I would be able to just drive down, have my family come down because it's a we'll call it a seven hour drive. So they could come down for a game or a long weekend or I could come home. It was never having to hop on a flight, fly to Carolina, fly home. It was just kind of the convenience of having some family around. And I had never been to uh, Chapel Hill until later. Um, But I just, you know, I loved KU. KU was great. You know, it was that Midwest feel that I grew up in. The people were wonderful. They kind of brought me in. And it just it just felt like home. 
And your sophomore year, I mean, that was the year you really came onto the scene at Kansas. You were defensive player of the year in the Big 12, first team all Big 12, first team all defensive Big 12. Um, what was your decision that following, I mean, that, that summer to, to come back to Kansas? Because you ended up coming back for your junior year. Was that a hard decision or was it just you never even thought about it? You, you were trying to stay four years at Kansas. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of hard. It wasn't, it wasn't really hard. It really probably just came down to just wanting to get my degree. Um, you know, my, my family, I was the first one to ever, uh, get my college degree or go to college at first. And then, you know, my freshman year happened, sophomore year, it was like, okay, well, you know, you could go into the draft. And I sat down with a uh, coach and then I sat down with Scooter and I'm like, hey, Scooter, what can I do to get myself to a place where I, that I can graduate later? Because, you know, here I'm in this weird place that I want to go and make money and be in the NBA and, and kind of pursue those dreams. But I know the other side of it that basketball is not going to last forever and I need to have something to fall back on and I just ended up deciding to come back and Scooter and I were talking and he's like you know the one thing you could do is you could become an academic all-american I was like what he goes yeah you, you have to have a three I think it was like a three three or a three five GPA and all of these things and I'm like okay, let's give it a try. Let's do it. So the hardest thing was that was my junior year that that happened. And I mean, you guys know how hard the spring semester is just because games and you're gone and all that. I had like 17 credit hours. I had so much crap. And, and it was just mainly to like get ahead of the game because I knew when I came back from my junior year, I said, I'm not going to come back from my senior year. I, I know that unless I get hurt or something like that, that I'm going to be gone and I want to set myself up for, you know, the least amount of credits. And I had probably like a semester, semester and a half left after I went to the draft and, and, and played. Um, and that took me, let's see, I graduated. So here's, here's the crazy world is, I got traded from Oklahoma City to Houston and then Houston to Sacramento, ended the season in Sacramento, flew to KU, graduated. That was in April, March, whatever that was, you know, it, yeah. was, it was early. And, um, and then I got married in July and then I signed with the Knicks. So that, that summer was a, was a whirlwind of things. It was kind of like, wow, here I graduated and now I got married and here I am in New York. So yeah, was, knock out all the big, all knock out all <laughs> the big things in a year and a half, get drafted, become an academic, all American, married, traded three times and <laughs> graduate. I mean, that's, that's a ridiculous 18 month stretch right there. It, it was crazy. I mean, it was so stressful, but when I look back at it, it was hard doing homework on the plane because you know game would end and here i am like oh shit i gotta do this assignment or i'm sitting in a hotel and and i understand when guys get done why it's so hard to come back you know it's kind of like that catch-22 where some of these guys i'll say like xavier for instance xavier henry who 
was really good freshman year, left, you know, didn't really have any credits to his name and, you know, played a handful of years in the NBA and now is gone. You know, he's not playing basketball anymore. So finding that other side where you're sitting there and you're like, man, I'm 28 and I don't have a college degree. I feel like I'm starting all the way over. You know, I didn't want to get into that point. So that's kind of what made me do all that. And it sucked for a year or two, but I'm now I'm so happy that I was able to do it and just got it done with and, you know, go on from there. Is you, would you say your biggest, I mean, you obviously have a bunch of accomplishments. Would you say that the academic All-American was the most satisfying to you? Because it wasn't really in, like, your specialty is basketball. So winning basketball awards is one thing, but you're really winning it for basketball. And it's something that I mean, it means a lot to your family, meant a lot to you, and you put in hours that you, you really didn't have to. Mm-hmm. You know, I always joke with Tyrell. Tyrell... <laughs> Tyrell is my guy. I love Tyrell. We roomed and we still talk all the time. And he goes, how the hell did you get academic All-American? And I was like, I was smart enough to make people think that I was smart enough. <laughs> and he just starts laughing because, you know, Tyrell is, he's a, he's a PT, he's a physical therapist. And, you know, during that stretch where I had all these credits, he's, He's also sitting in study room when we're on the road during the tournament doing homework. And, you know, he's here learning about like the ligaments of each intersection of your ankle and all these other things. And, you know, I'm doing English, you know, a whole different <laughs> or communications, you know, I'm doing a whole different thing. And, and, it, and it's, it's so funny. We give each other so much crap, but I'm, Pretty sure he was an academic All-American himself. That's a pretty smart deal right there. Yeah. Better than you and I, Chris. Way better than you and I. Yeah. That 302C in the towers is, if you ever want to become a a smart person, you find that room. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. What's it like going from from small town where, where you're from, then you go to Lawrence, and then you end up in New York? What's How is that culture shock like? I can't imagine going from Lawrence to New York. It was crazy. I mean, I had been to New York. Everybody's been to New York, but living in New York, it's a whole different beast. You know, there's there's nine million people. There's subways and cars and taxis and just like, where do I ever begin? Like, where do I get anywhere? Uh, so, you know, like that first month or so was kind of tough because I had no idea. Like, you know, I'm sitting on my GPS and and I come to I finally realized that after my second year, um, I realized that you could not turn right on a red light like anywhere else in the country. You know, it's a red light. You stop. OK, no cars, no people. And you just go. And it took me until my uh, my end of my second year to realize that you couldn't turn right on red. <laughs> so <laughs> thankfully, I mean, I'm sure there's a hundred cops that I'm sure saw me, you know, stop and then just continue on. But I, yeah, it was, it was one of those things that you just kind of had to navigate and nobody really was there to help you. You just kind of had to figure it out yourself. Yeah. And you, I mean, you were a big Midwestern guy too. And New York isn't known for the hospitality. 
<laughs> was that was that kind of something where you got there like the first month you're bumping into people hey my bad like excuse me or do like the little midwestern head nod and when did you drop that and just kind of be like all right it's it's doggy dog world out here i think like one of the first times i walked in to get a coffee in the city and basically the the person at the checkout was like what do you want it was never <laughs> It was never, you know, because if I go to a place here now, they're like, hey, good morning. Like, how are you? Do you have any plans for the fourth? And, you know, kind of that type of stuff. They were just basically, what do you want? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that's how it was. This is a little different. And the coffee shops in the Midwest, yeah, like it's literally you're, the only problem you have is, all right, hey, let's keep the chit-chat before I order my coffee to five minutes. Like we got a line behind us. <laughs> yeah, everybody's just trying to get their coffee. But I want I want to be nice. And they were, you know, they just were like, yep, what do you want? Get out of here. We we talked to CB a little bit about this. He told us some crazy stories with he got a parking ticket uh, fine from his team for like 15 grand or something like that did you ever have any experiences getting fined by the nba for something like completely ridiculous i got fined one time and it was my rookie year i think yeah it had to been my rookie year i was in the i was kind of bouncing back between the g league and um and the team and i came back to oklahoma city and i had a workout at call it 9 a.m. I got there like 8.45. I ate breakfast quick. And and I was supposed to be in the weight room around the court at like 9. And I walked up and it was like 9.02. And I got laid into and I had, we call it a pink slip. And they would give you a pink slip on your seat and they'd find you. for any, And they would find you for all sorts of everything. You know, and that was the only time that I got fined. I never got a technical because I was like, you know what? I like I work too damn hard for this money. Why am I giving it back to them? You know, some guys would show up late to planes and and buses and meetings and all that. And guys would just be handing money away. And I, you know, I always thought there's no way I, you know, I work too hard for this. They are going to do everything they can to take it back. So why am I going to make it easy for them? And, you know, for me, it was easy to show up on time. And that one time I was like two minutes late <laughs> and I got and, and I got hit for like 250 bucks. So it wasn't even like anything. It was just kind of like the principle of thought. Yeah. like, yeah. You, like, okay, no. you get fined for technicals, like even if it's part of the game, like and you're just playing hard and you get, like, you'll get a fine for that. Yeah, if you get so the NBA, it's the numbers are probably different now, but my first year, like when I was playing, it was two grand for the first five, three grand for the next five, and then four grand for the five after that. But once you hit 15, it was five grand plus a game. So, you know, for first five technicals, it's you know, it's 10 grand. The second five is 15, so now you're in 25 grand. And then the five after that is, is 20, so now you're in at almost 50 grand plus a game. So, you know, 
like the guys like Kendrick Perkins or even Russell, some of those guys that like teeter on the line of, of like they're, it's like at the end of the season, well, they got 13 technicals. There's 12 games left. Yeah. Some of those guys, because you get, you get five grand, which when you're making that much money is, you know, it's nothing, but it's the game that you get suspended for is really what kicks you because that's like, you know, it could be a hundred grand and for, for some oh, guys. God. That could be that is more than that's disgusting. Like, I mean, I know you guys are making so much money and especially like Russ and those dudes, but like showing up to planes, like, Hey, if, if I'm getting paid a, a million a year on the low end and you're telling me all I have to do is go work out every day, go get on planes on time and just kind of keep my, I would say the technical, I definitely would get fined for a technical every once in a while. I, I was a high, I'm a high head, but it's like, I would be at the plane 45 minutes early. Like, all right, knowing that, Hey, if I don't get on time here, I can get fined like $5,000 or something. To me, I would never be late to anything. I'd honestly be stressed. I'd probably sleep at the airport regardless of how much money I was making. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's how I was. I was I was like, you know what? It it's so easy to just be there and be on time. So why why would I make it hard on myself and lose money? I think one of the most beautiful things we did at Kansas is boot camp, the accountability that comes with it, like the no you can't be a second late to anything. Oh, like there's people checking your classes, like that like has instilled such a such a such a, like on time as, like aspect to my like professional life even like people mm-hmm. will be like there'll be like business meetings and like the casual business meetings like yeah you show up when you want to over the next like two hours and i'm showing up 15 minutes before the thing starts like hey i'm here i'm not missing this i'm not gonna be late to it it's just like something you do like without even thinking of it like it just like happens yeah yeah i mean that's one thing that coach self and the staff does really well is he holds you accountable and, you know, I think going back, that's why it was so frustrating with the twins early on, where I'm like, man, these guys, like, they're late. And, you know, B-Rush and Mario, they were always late to class, skipping class. And, you know, B-Rush would always be like, man, class, I don't want to go to class. And I'm like, listen, I don't, I don't care if you want to go to class or not, but... I'm running because you're not showing up to class, which is making me mad because I don't want to run any more than I already do run. So show your ass up on class on time. <laughs> Did they have the class checkers when you were there? The people oh, that yeah. check your class? Yeah we, yeah. we were probably the reason why we started the class checkers because <laughs> half of our team didn't want to go to class. And Hootie got so tired of putting everybody through workouts that was so hard that he would you know coach was probably like all right we got to have somebody to show up and and make sure that they're on time because i mean every morning it was like mario and b rush and darnell they were always all right ride this bike i'm gonna take the you have to ride this bike for 15 minutes and keep it at this pace but i'm gonna take the seat away so there's no seat and they're like basically standing up doing the whole thing yeah, I've heard some stories. Uh, well, I've heard stories, obviously, from Connor and then from Brady Morningstar being our coach. Uh, do you recall the uh, Mario Chalmers thirty thirty day in boot camp? 30, and if so, 30. can you give us a little insight on that? Oh man, I'm trying to think of the thirty thirty day. 
So this is, and I could be wrong. I could be, he, he missed, he literally slept through the 30 thirties, Like he slept through them and got there with like 10 left or something and ran those 10. And you always like during boot camp, you're late. Coach self was nice enough to not make those guys, make you guys maybe run again or didn't have to run as much, but he had to go through the whole workout after he showed up. And then after he stayed and had to run double, so you had to run every one you missed, you had to run double for. So we ended up running like 70 30s. And Connor was like, hey, yeah, he finished them in probably 45 minutes. Like he ran all 60 of them. And then he came back in the locker room and was like not huffing and puffing that hard. And I sit there and think about that. It's like I used to lose sleep for like two months before we'd run them 30 30s. Oh, man, there's nothing like going to the field house when it was like a cool, brisk morning in the fall. And you just thought shit tomorrow we gotta run our 2020s and the day after we gotta run our 3030s <laughs> oh man this is gonna suck how are we gonna try to talk coaching and not doing it this year <laughs> there is no talking into it either the worst <laughs> the worst parts of it for me were always like the first couple of years because like you you really didn't know what you were getting into like towards the end of like chris i know your career and my career like we would like wake up for boot camp like, all right, we know what we need to do. Like we can make this easier on ourselves if we talk, if we're energetic, like we may oh, be yeah. suffering on the inside, but like, you know, the recipe, like even oh, this yeah. year's team with like nine new guys, like oh, I'm, I'm staying, pray I'm staying prayer for them. <laughs> Coach Trump is going to be proving, proving something on boot camp. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing that you come to realize is, Coaches, coaches, coach, and he's not going to change a whole lot because he hasn't, and that's what makes him so good. And you know, I would say that I'm sure he's gotten softer over the years. You know, from when he yeah. was when he was with us, like you know, that was 20 years ago. He had far more energy and more kind of like care to really get into people's ass. Now, you know, he still will get in people's asses, but. There are so many things that that happened throughout my career where I'm like, oh, I can't see him doing that now. There's no way. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it, it was definitely you guys. I've heard stories, obviously, folklore. Like, I don't know how true it is. Connor obviously always tries to make his his life seem so much harder than mine. <laughs> but these are some of the stories I've heard. Coach Self, he uh he got after you guys a good, good amount. And especially with the Morris twins, when they would sit out and that's the worst of all of it. Like you've already said it. There's nothing worse than showing up to boot camp. I know exactly what I need to do. I know exactly what I need to do. And I can try to pull these guys across the finish line, but you can't pull them all the way. And then you get yeah. punished for it. <laughs> At some yeah. point, I think that's, that's his whole philosophy on doing it is though, is like, there's always, you got 15, 20 guys, like, there's always going to be two or three that they went out to the bar the night before and they stayed up too late or they just don't care, or, you know, whatever it is. And they need the other guys to kind of rally and, and help them through it. I mean, I've seen guys like, you know, the twins, Keith was over there kind of mumbling on his last one and Tyrell's over there pushing them in the back. Like, come on, let's go move. <laughs> You know, because some of those guys like Tyrell, B-Rush, Mario, they can run all day. You know, guys like me, I'm like, this, I hate running. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like, I, 
just let's run 22 of them. You know, I don't want to miss any of them. If we're going to miss some, because we're going to, but let's not run 35 of them. Let's, let's get this over as quick as we can. Coach Hill's favorite thing now is to take the time down off the clock. You know how they'd run it on the clock and you'd see, you could see your seconds? Like if, you're, uh-huh. if, if you're doing them too easy, he gets out his stopwatch. Instead of putting it on the clock, he has it. And so like it'll be like 18 seconds. It'll be like two, one. Just so like you're making it, making it run them in 20 instead of 22. So like those extra two seconds, oh, yeah. that's, yeah. His, that's his new trick now. We really love that. <laughs> And then he would stop and, you know, he'd always stop every like five, six times and he would kind of just give you a little breathing. He'd try to talk to you and we're like, you know, one guy, Buford's over there throwing up in the trash can and <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding on to the pylon for dear life. <laughs> we, uh, I got, I got three more. I got three more good questions I forgot to bring up early, but you mentioned your freshman class. I mean... The, the most athletic freshman class to ever come into the University of Kansas. You, Tyrell Reed, Connor Tehan, and Chase Buford. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty successful group, though. Oh, it's, a, it's a very successful group. But I remember seeing the little picture. I, need, I couldn't find it. I tried all over the internet. But I'm sure someone in Mercury hopefully will find this. But the picture of you guys standing out in front of Allen Fieldhouse – and, I mean, this is 2007, 2008. You guys all have these baggy clothes on, these eight-inch thick ankle braces on. Like, you guys looks like a real athletic, real, real athletic group. Like, was there any backlash? Not backlash. But like, were people say some stuff to you like that? I mean, you obviously were a five-star. But that, that look right there, if I'm looking at my freshman class, I'm not going to be the most excited. I mean, obviously, you got a 6'11 guy, 7-footer. But the rest of it was like, ah. Was there anything you heard about that? Or if they if did coach and then mention it to you guys? I mean, like – we know the backstory on Buford, you know, kind of being a walk on at KU because, yeah. you know, RC was at KU with Larry Brown and, you know, Buford was, he was never going to be a guy that played, you know, your brother, you know, really flourished towards the end of his career. Like, you know, he, he didn't play at all because, you know, we were so good. And then he kind of, kind of really found his niche and, and became a great shooter and was able to be really like, you know, utilized throughout the games. And Tyrell, I always joke because Tyrell was so athletic. Like, I mean, you see him now, he goes to the round ball and he'll dunk it and he can still windmill. Like, he always had bounce. And then me, I'm like kind of a lumbering Midwest dopey looking guy. (laughs) You know, we for some reason, I don't know, if you would have taken our freshman class and put it up against every other freshman class in college basketball, we would have probably been in like the 240 range of, of how good <laughs> we could have been. You know, because there would have been so many others just like more athletic, kind of well-tuned players than us. We were we weren't cut, we weren't fast, we weren't super skilled, we just we found a way, and, and we were a hell of a red team, I'll tell you that much. Oh, yeah, you guys had to have been a hell of a red team. And if you really look, like, you guys are some of the most, like, that class was probably the, 
outside of maybe a couple other people, like the most successful class to come through Kansas. I mean, Connor went to two Final Fours. Tyrell, he, you guys all won national championships. Defensive player of the year, Big 12 championships, all of it. You guys were very, very decorated. But I just, I, Connor brought it up earlier today, and I could, I just remembered it, and I cried laughing. <laughs> we'll, cool. we'll have to find that picture. <laughs> uh, I'll find it. I'll send it to you today. I'm going to research it. Cool. I wanted to ask you one last question. Talk to us about your Dayton game, your triple-double in the NCAA tournament. Triple-doubles hardly ever happen in college basketball. And to have one of those in an NCAA tournament game, like what, what went into that game? Why were you so locked in? And what, what, was, it, what was able to make that happen? Um, man, it was, it was kind of just like a crazy thing. We played NDSU the day before. And they had a they had a really good little point guard and and um, you know that year it was my sophomore year we were like we didn't know who the hell we were like we just came off of winning the national championship we went and played a few exhibition games in Ottawa Canada like we had we had some good players but by no means were we a good team you know we were a top twenty five team but I think we lost probably eight games that year. But somehow we never lost at home. That was like a thing, you know, I went 55-0 and 0 at home. I never lost in Allen Fieldhouse. So I never understood what it was like to be in the locker room and lost. I mean, we had a few games that we should have lost, but we never did. Um, but we were, we were like really good at times and then terrible. And Coach Self, I remember that was the first year when they built the practice facility. And he kicked us out, and we had to go play at um, at the rec center across the street, the new one. And you know, you had students up on the on the catwalk, and Coach Self is everybody, and you know, so we had a lot of adversity my sophomore year, and and. Um, so we ended up winning the Big Twelve somehow, some way. We lost to I think. Baylor in Oklahoma City for the Big 12 tournament. This was our first game yeah. after July. So that was another like, holy shit, we need to either figure this out or we're going home and this is going to be short. Um, so we played in the Metrodome in Minnesota for the tournament. And somehow, like, I was home the stars aligned. I remember just like getting my 10th block and then like all the guys on the bench were going off crazy. And I was just kind of like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know what had happened. And I don't think it really set in until maybe even years later, because, you know, I remember having a conversation with coach self earlier the year we were at Tennessee and I had like 14 and, 18 and coach came to me and he was like you need to do better yeah. and I'm like like dude I just had 14 and 18 what are you talking about that's a hell of a game and I suck I'm like shit up okay okay yeah I, I gotta do better I guess <laughs> I don't know how but I'm, I'm gonna find a way and you know once the tournament kind of started it was like Sharon and I kind of looked at each other and we're like hey you know what last year was last year and this year is this like we need to figure out a way how to win. And it was kind of him and I, and then, you know, Marcus and 
and Keith and, and Brady played great defensively. And, you know, we just kind of found a way. And as I look back at it, I don't know if it's more impressive that I had 20 rebounds in that game or if I had the 10 blocks. And I think I'm only, I think Shaq and I are the only ones to do it with blocks. Yeah. Shaq and you were the only ones to do it. You were the first official triple-double in Kansas history. Yeah, and I, and I think Whitty has done it since. I think there's only two. I think Jeff and yeah. I are the only ones that have had a triple-double. Which, you know, yeah. with Wilt, you know, who knows with Wilt. Wilt probably had, you know, 62 and 39 <laughs> and 17 blocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's the first official. I literally looked it up because I remember you having the triple double. So I was like, okay, like let me look up this game and see the exact stats. And it, it like in bold said official, like first official. Yeah. So you know, Will had some stat line with like yeah, twenty five steals, fifty five rebounds, thirty blocks, <laughs> and one hundred and ten points or something like yeah. that. Something ridiculous. But yeah, it was just kind of one of those things. It was it was do or die, and and I was at home and we were just trying to find a way to advance and that was what needed to be happen. I, you know, it needed to happen that game for us to win. And then we moved on and that was, I mean, it's, it was a special moment and it was definitely one of my, my more memorable moments while at KU. Let's talk about your, probably your least memorable moment. And I, I feel bad even asking about this, because, I mean, it was so – I mean, I was eight years old sitting in the stands crying at this game. But everyone probably wants to hear about it. Your junior year, you guys played Lehigh. You're, number, you're the number one overall seed. You play Lehigh first round, beat C.J. McCollum, and then you go play Northern Iowa. And it hurts me to even say that name. Chris, this hurts. But it, it, you, you've had time to recover, hopefully. I still haven't had time to recover. But, I mean, that's emotionally scarring forever. But – can you kind of explain like how that game just went, how it was in the locker room after? I'm sorry to, to do that to you, but it's just something everyone probably wants to know a little bit about. Oh, totally. You know, going, I mean, that's a hard thing. I mean, you're the number one overall seed in a tournament. It happened this year. And you never know what what's going to happen because, you know, when you get the Big 12 tournament, Preseason, we'll call it, like, I'll say preseason is non-conference. Like, it matters, but it, it does it really matter? Not in our standards. We're kind of like, well, yeah, we play, we have the best schedule out of any team, and you're going to bound to lose games because you play the best. Once you get to to uh, the conference, and it's like, okay, here it is. This is serious. And... Once you get to the tournament, you have no idea who you're going to play, how they play, their players. You know, in Big 12 Conference, you know everybody. You know the teams, you know how they play, you know the their plays, all of that. But the tournament is just, it's like throwing a ball out there and being like, all right, go play. And, and you have to figure stuff out on the fly. And in the scouting report, their big guy don't remember his name right offhand, but he was like, I'll call it two for 16 from three all season. Never shot it. Maybe shot a three one game, but he made like three threes that game. And, you know, that was something that like I wasn't used to guarding 
And, you know, he was probably a, more of a conventional big guy than he was an actual shooter. And then you have the, the Farouk Manesh kid who made that shot, which as you watch the game, you like for us, you know, in the game, I'm thinking, hell, that's a great shot for us. He's shooting it from like 35. It's low clock or it's it's like early in the clock. They yeah. have no rebound. It's it's in transition. It's kind of like a broken play. And then he hits it. And then you're like, OK, now they have that momentum. And, you know, that kind of I think was the breaker of it was, you know, when you see the play evolved and he shoots it, you're sitting there thinking, Okay, like, he he's not yeah. make this. Like, sure, he's made a few before, but that's a ballsy shot. He's not going to do that. And then he hits it, and it's like, oh shit. Okay, well, yeah, we got a problem on our hands. There's not a whole lot of time left, and we need to figure it out. And you know, it, it was just kind of one of those games that we were really good. We shoulda, coulda won, but it just sometimes that's how it goes. I mean. My sophomore year, we probably should have been in the Final Four ourselves. We lost to Michigan State. We were up like five with two minutes to go. And I mean, you know how it is. It's just it's the tournament, and that's what makes the tournament great for viewers. But when you're playing in it and you're like, man, we're the best team, we would have beat them 95 out of 100 times. But, yeah. you know, they hit us for that, that one of the five times, and that's just kind of how it happens. And they have nothing to lose, too, like you said. I mean, the dude was 2 or 18 from 3 the whole year. And that's what makes March Madness so fun, but at the same time so dangerous. Like, these teams have absolutely nothing to lose. You're playing the number one overall seed. You're Northern Iowa. Like, no one really knows about you. What are you going to do? You can be like, hey, yeah, cool. You didn't shoot threes in college. But, hey, if we were the 16th seed against a one and you could kick one in, Coach Self would probably be like, all right, Cole, like, get him up today. If, if, he, if he starts it, he gives us a chance. Yeah, yeah, you, we're going to lose by 35. Well, we're going to – nobody expected us to win, so what does it matter? Yeah. Well, Cole, hey, thank you for this. I mean, we could talk all day. I still have a million questions left. We're coming up on a little bit of time here. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, glad that you're doing well, and it was it was a really fun time today. Of course. Thanks, guys, for having well, me. I appreciate you, sir. We'll have to do yes, it again. Sorry. We got a lot more stories. 100%. Yeah, we can definitely have you come back. And we, we should, I think we're going to start doing in the regular season, bringing on alumni to kind of review games uh, yeah. and, and like kind of talk to see it. Because, I mean, me and Mitch, people probably are tired of me and Mitch talking and seeing our perspective on things. So hopefully we can get you back during the regular season and break down some film on Hunter Dickinson, Dickerson and everything. So, yeah, that'd be fun. Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, babe. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rock Chalk Unplugged. We're out. Rock Chalk.